spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins where it all came from since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label Hi, it's Andy Ann from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys and again spoken label back in the house we're on zoom again today and we're over to wales today a lovely part of the world here as well so i've got a writer with me and that she doesn't know this but i've had um I picked up a book actually last week and by a guy called if I can find it, I'll embarrass her. But I can't I've got it hidden away. By I think it's Chris Cunningham, if my memory's correct. He sent me a book over and she's done a testimonial on the back of the book for him. So it's a lovely lady called Natalie Humbor, or Nat as I'm gonna call her today. So Nat, first of all, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Obviously, tell them where you're from and what led you into your creativity, and we'll take it from there. Okay, um, so I'm um, Nat. Um, I write as Natalie Ann Holborough. Um, I'm author of And Suddenly You Find Yourself, which was released in 2017. I released that in the Calcutta Literary Festival. Uh, last year, I brought out my second collection called Small, again with Parthian Books. And I also last year brought out um, a co- co-written book uh, called The Wrong Side of the Looking Glass, which is a a feminist retelling of all the story, uh, the fairy tales and different stories and different myths with Mary Ellis Dunning. Um, I'm also co-editor of the Cheval Anthology and I work in digital marketing in Swansea. Um, tell, busy lady. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I'm yourself. Now, obviously, with all the digital stuff then, had it, and your writing, does it always run hand in hand then for you, does it? I found that it has because I originally worked in copywriting for a long time and I find that I prefer digital marketing because it requires you to be quite creative and respond to things as they're happening. Um, and that links that links so well with um, how I write poetry because I'm constantly responding to the world around me. Um, or if I'm writing blogs, I'm very aware of what people are talking about, um, what's trending, um, and digital marketing just pushes you to think outside the box in the same way that writing does, that perhaps copywriting, if you're writing to um, a client's house style or um, you're writing to a very strict brief, doesn't always allow you to do it. You've got a little bit more freedom, I find, with marketing. Yeah, 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 I think so straight away. Like my partner, Amanda, she does both of them herself, and I know what you mean by that. So it's, they run hand in hand, but they are quite different in their own way. So yeah. 
Now, what led you into your writing originally, though? Um, originally, I've always loved books. I think um, even as a kid, if I had a choice of things to do um, in nursery class, it would always be the book corner. Um, and as I became older, then went to secondary school. Um, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and I started getting bullied. And the way that I would escape would be to escape into books and to create my own, own world through writing. And it was as much a therapy for me and a way of release as it was um, something that I secretly always wanted to do. Um, I felt like I should be going for a different career path because careers advisors don't always see writing as a proper job. Um, so I was pushed towards medicine and it was at the last minute that I decided that I didn't quite get the last grade, the biology grade. I missed up by one mark for medical school and went for English lit instead. And honestly, it was the best failure I've ever had because I'm <laughs> on the right track now. Oh, but you are, because it's like it's a sort of it's well known I'm 49, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. But when I was at school, we weren't you weren't encouraged to want to be a writer. I remember it full when I was at school, they're saying, right, Andrew. What office do you think you want to work in? What company or what warehouse? And I thought, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I mean. But I think it's sometimes it comes in a natural way to yourself. Like that lucky miss, or bad miss, you might say, lucky miss, it led you in the direction you want to go. Yeah. And I get really tired as well about people seeing writing as it'll always be a hobby, or there's a lot of things that they keep back. They say that if you do English lit or creative writing, then you need to be a teacher and there's no other option. But I later found out about things like copywriting and marketing and instructional design. And there's all these different jobs that can inspire you and put, encourage you to keep writing that you just don't know about in school. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think it's, I think as well as, it, and this is what happened to me when I became a poet myself just over 20 years ago, that was like, what I didn't think I'd end up doing half the things I've done since. And this applies to you as well, where I think a lot of it is just a natural progression, really, isn't it? Because mm. doors open, don't they? Like sometimes... They sometimes unexpectedly as well so that's why but yeah I want to ask you obviously then you told us told us a fair bit about yourself here straight away so now tell us about the your first book then first of all then and suddenly you find yourself then um so and suddenly you find yourself was um, a book that I started writing when I started my creative writing masters um in Swans University and it was around that time that I got into um, doing open mic sessions which really opened up doors um, I was terrified the first time I went along um, I remember mine as well yeah <laughs> yeah I think everyone can remember their first open mic session because you think as a writer that you sort of hide away you'll never have to engage with people you just have to write onto the page but you need to connect with people and you need to be quite outspoken and you you need to make your voice heard which is something you just don't expect and I went along to that and I took, took my my book of poems um, or at least my sort of notebook. And I remember I just drunk a bottle of carbon before I got there. I could barely see the sheet. But <laughs> after getting that round of applause and realising, oh, my God, the room are actually on your side. They don't want to see you fail. I just got addicted to doing that. Um, and ever since, I've just really loved um, doing more in the way of performance poetry and um, going and doing festivals and readings. And it was the encouragement of that Swansea writing community that, gave me the confidence to write the first book um, and it got published out in Calcutta um, with a trip with uh, British Council, Parthian and Literature Wales and BCD Wales. Brilliant, brilliant. Now for people obviously don't know this book then, what was the inspirations behind this first book then? 
It's quite, it's a wordy title, um, I like it. It is, it started, I can't remember what the first, oh, the first title was very short, it was actually Bite, which was much, much shorter, um, and now it's on Suddenly You Find It, it just felt right. Um, that's taken from one of the poems, which was about um, feeling a bit lost in my university years, um, but the collection itself is about uh, difficult times with family, or it's about, about uh, mythology, it's all the things that were inspiring me at the time, that an awful lot of the subject matter is to do with communicating with my sister. Um, at the time, we had a few years where perhaps we didn't quite get on and I missed her because we'd grown up and we'd been inseparable. Writing was my way of communicating with her, even if she wasn't reading those words. I just felt like I was connecting with her just to put it onto the page. Um, and yeah, I think I feel like Looking back, there are things maybe I'd change about that collection, or maybe write a little more, make it a little longer, but I feel like it captured everything that had to be written in that moment. And I'm glad that I stopped there where I did. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think always with the first collection, I know with my first collection, the lady I was talking yesterday, the same thing as you actually, <laughs> was mm. that first collection is that it's out of the time for you. Yeah. And I think it's, you might end up, I think I've regretted a bit my first book, but it was a case of it was it is what it is what it is what it is at the time. Yeah. That's why. So and you can't take it away. So I think it's just great you got it done. Then you can move on to your second collection, can't you? And wherever it leads next to that, I would say. Yeah. So <laughs> now it's kind of a good thing as well to look back and think, oh, I could have done things better, because that means you've you've developed along the way and you've learned something. So it's it's never a bad thing if you go back and change. It'd be worse if you were completely blind to it and you were still writing in the same style years later. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with yourself. I mean, because writers are always developing and moving on, certainly. Now, which, obviously, you've told us before, you've got you've had a second collection come out and a split book. Which one came out second? Well, <laughs> I don't know which one. Uh, really. They came out very close to each other. Um, this next one, even though Small was finished first, which is my collection, um, The Wrong Side of the Looking Glass, uh, the launch was before that. Um, but that was written a lot more quickly, I think, because there were two of us working on it and it just seemed to work so well um, working in that way. We've actually carried on and we're going to be working on more in the future. Um, Brilliant. Now, it's Mary Ellis Dunning. Is that correct, isn't it? That you've done that's this? Right. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I've got her name right. OK, tell us how we met Mary then. Um, so I met Mary through the Terry Heatherington Awards and the Robin Reeves Prize. And what I love about the writing in community is you could have like someone who's won first place, someone who's won second place, or um, you could have a group of people who have like some have been commended, but you don't see them as your competition. You just see, oh, great. I've got a friend that I can talk to about writing now. And it's, it's nice that we've made that communication. And we've, um, we've realized that our styles are quite similar. Um, so we thought, okay, we could, instead of like having a rivalry here, which just, it just isn't conducive to the, to creativity at all um what happens if we work together and we've, we've become really good friends and it just so happened to work uh, working together like that yeah i think it does when you're working on books with people it's great because i think mean, there's a reaction you're bouncing off each other all the time because mm. i've done like i've done two books with a partner and a couple of books with a friend of mine so it's like you get something from it it's it makes you look at things in different ways i think sometimes 
Yeah, and it makes you feel less alone as well because you think that everyone's writing things perfectly, but it kind of knocks down that fourth wall that you don't see during the writing process and all that that messiness that's involved with with putting a poem together. Um, but you're letting someone into that, and it's quite it makes you quite vulnerable, but it makes you a better writer as well because you're always accountable for, for someone else. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the books I've co-wrote is great, and you're showing these to the other people, and they're saying to you oh, no, how about try that with it to when get the pieces flowing together more? So did you find that yourself? With it? The, the co- was it co-writing, was it? Or it bouncing ideas all the time off each other? Um, yeah, we talk about ideas like female characters we'd love to explore, um, and then we'd choose two, and then we'd have a go at writing those two characters, swap poems, see what works, what doesn't, and then we'd try and play like edit each other's poems, send them back, swap ideas... Um, we were just working in shared Google documents. And then at the end, we'd always have that aha moment. We finally got it. And if one struggled with one character, um, perhaps the other one would get it. Um, so you never, you were never stuck at any point for long. Yeah, of course. I think it's always, it's, it's that pushing. You push yourself along, don't you? No, definitely. I think mean, you can write quicker sometimes. You, if you get the right person you're doing it with, you definitely bounce off each mm-hmm. other. Now, what made you want to go and look at um, Do It As The Looking Glass then? Um, I think that was about the way we look at ourselves as women and the idea of being the wrong side of the looking glass, um, about the way that we're reflected by society as well and just stepping through it and seeing what the real stories would be or just stepping into the minds of these women who are portrayed as villains, um, and what were their motivations? Um, how can we make them more human? And we just agreed on that title. And even down to the cover, um, Mari and I just both came up with this idea of the, the hand mirror. Um, and our publisher suggested that as well. It was like all three of us just got that sense that that was the right image and the right title for the book. Right, getting on. That's just curious. It's, it's an interesting thing to approach. You know, good luck with that. That's brilliant. Okay, well. That been the case then. Um, do you want to tell us about your? Okay, oh, now we're backtracking ourselves. Your second full length <laughs> book then, which uh, is okay. small. Um, my yeah. second, yeah, that's right. Um, small was a bit of a surprise though, um, because I'd been struggling to write since my first collection. I, you do, you have that. I don't know whether it's the same as finishing some huge event, and you just think, oh my god, I, I, that's it. I'm, I'm exhausted. I feel. Just feel like I'm, I've got a part of me missing because that book that you've worked so hard on is suddenly gone and you you think, oh, perhaps I'll never be able to write again. And I just so happened to be going out for a run. Um, and I had this idea of this character just sitting on my back. And that character was my negative voice. And I'd suffered with an eating disorder in the past. And I've never been able to think of a a way of characterizing it in therapy sessions. And I thought of this tantrum in child just clinging to my back and then suddenly gone quiet. Um, and it was kind of like in the movement of myself running while I was just, I was by the river, by the sunrise. And the name small just came into my head. And then I got home, um, started writing before work. And by the end of the day, I was just desperate to get home to carry on writing this thing. And I'd written the really? entire book within six months. It's just, just one of these unexpected things. Yeah, you get, I've had bits of piece rising like that before now where it's somewhere it's just come out of nowhere, it grabs you, doesn't it? So mm. 
kind of like the second book I wrote myself. Mine took five years to write my second book because I, I couldn't get it. Yeah, five. Yeah. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it right. And I think I went for about two hundred poems on it before I got the actual <laughs> final thing. So, but yeah, no, I get it. Sometimes it's your way in it. There's something like it clicks with you, and before you know it, you've said, "Oh, I've got to write that." And then mm. six months down the line, it's done. So, oh, brilliant. Now, okay, what are the themes in the second book then? If people are interested in them. Um, so I thought like the main theme is the character of Small and um, having lived with an eating disorder. I've got quite a bit written there on type 1 diabetes, which I've struggled to write about for years, but all of a sudden it's, even now it's, it's very difficult to write about certain aspects and I can't put that into a character because there's too much anger around it. Um, yeah. But it's starting to come out in writing now. Um, I'd written a bit about um, the trip to India, um, to some of the poems that we'd written as part of that are in there. Um, and the mythology, I, that's always going to be part of my writing, the, the Greek mythology. Yeah, I've noticed that from researching. I know you've always had a big interest in Greek mythology for quite some time as well. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to talk to me as a fellow diabetic writer like you, because I've not actually had the guts to go and write about my struggle with diabetes yet. I might yeah. yet. Now, I might yet now, because I know now I know I'm a fellow diabetic writer. But yeah. <laughs> That's why it's just something I've not been able to approach because it's somebody like I said, it's somebody that's just too close to the close to it's home. It's very it? difficult to separate it from yourself. If you're thinking about it 24-7, you never quite get a break from it. It's you can't pull it off to write about it, if that makes sense. Because it can even affect your concentration when you're writing. So how do you how do you separate that? Yeah, it's just can't do it. I just can't do it. One of these days I will. <laughs> I can tell you <laughs> I'll probably shut now, but it's not going to be yet. So now, okay, I am. I want to talk to you about, obviously, you've, you've done other things, haven't you, as well, besides your poetry. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at your website where you've done a lot of learning and development content as well. Now, this is some of this is really interesting, because like I said, it's you've done extensive range of blog articles, ex expert guide in the learning and development industry. And yeah. how do you find, obviously, I don't want to go into all that there, because there's quite a lot of extensive stuff here when you talk about marketing as well. How do you find me doing work like that? in contrast to your poetry is it like um, you, you have to flick us like a switch in your brain do you do you know what it complements complements it really well because that is what i do with my marketing job i work it's it's to do with um a learning platform and i find the whole learning and development community um is so supportive and i love the appreciation for continuously learning and developing and the way failure is seen as um, intrinsic to that process. Um, I love getting immersed in research in the same way that I'd love to research. You know, I enjoy researching something for a poem. Um, I get excited by um, new developments in that industry. Um, I enjoy going to conferences and meeting people, and it's it's very much aligned to what I do with writing. It's it's that yeah, exactly. It's that appreciation for. For continuously developing yeah i think so as well it's that's where you reflect straight away well in yourself that because now if people are wondering obviously because like, you look at your website and stuff i know obviously like, you're doing you do a lot of commissions don't you as well people mm -hmm. if they want to so tell people about your commissions and what what do you do um this has been a bit of a mix so last year i did um a commission for the national waterfront museum um so to give people a bit of boost in lockdown um the museum staff did a video um, based around a poem that myself and Anirin Karadog um, 
road. So he did the Welsh one and I did the English one. Um, and we got people to tweet um, how they found the experience of lockdown. And then we took those tweets and then wrote a poem inspired by fragments of, of what people had said. And then um, recorded the video with ourselves speaking and with museum staff speaking. And it was it was a gorgeous video and it was, it was quite emotional as well to see it all come together. Um, and another commission I did was for Freelance Foundation. Um, and that was about journeys and it's... Um, involved a lot of writers from um, all all over and we all um, worked on either photography or art or essays or poetry and it just it was just a it's a beautiful anthology um, that was recently released. Brilliant, brilliant. Now the last thing I want to talk to you about today, last thing too, <laughs> is obviously you've done, you were telling me before obviously at the beginning of things weren't you as well about your, your co-editor of um, when you're doing your Cheville. Now, Tell us about that. Then. Um, so this is part of the Terry Hetherington Awards. Um, this has been going for quite a long time. So it's um, set up in memory of the late Terry Hetherington, who was really supportive of young writers um, and was a really talented poem himself, poet himself. Um, so this gives an opportunity every year for young writers in Wales to get their work published. Um, and it's huge recognition as well. So this, this has really opened the doors for a lot of the writers that you see in Wales now. So for example, Reen Elizabeth, uh, Tyler Keevil, um, Gemma King, um, Sean Thomas Owen, there's, I'm trying to, uh, Christina Thatcher was another one. There's just loads of them, it's a huge community. And I've gone from like entering that when I was 18 and now co-editing it it's so exciting to see the entries that come in and see the passion for writing that young people have um it's not always the doors aren't always open especially from people from working class backgrounds and there's still that elitism um that we need to try and unpick in poetry especially so um for an award like that to happen um it it's vital for giving people confidence and for opening doors yeah, no, I agree completely with it. Like I said, is I think poetry is a commodity, if that's right, it has changed a lot. It's come on a lot of 10 years massively. And yeah. I think in another 10 years, and in exactly the same situation, it's going to keep getting better and better. And you'll be able to get more and more younger people in the base of people from other mm. backgrounds. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now to conclude with them, is there anything you want to reveal next? What you got coming up next? Then? Like future plans? Uh, what are future plans? What are well, I've got a few um, mentoring sessions that are coming up. Um, I'm currently trying to get um, a pamphlet published at the moment, um, which is a medical themed one. And I'd like to go back to fiction writing. So I've got a short fiction piece, which is coming out in July um, with Literal Journal. Um, and I, I think then, now that I've got the bug for that, I'd like to go back into writing fiction. It's just about sitting there and facing the blank page I feel like I've lost my confidence a little bit so uh, maybe getting the submissions out first will, will help I think so I think fiction is completely maybe completely different to my writing poetry it's yeah. just I think if you get out of the loop with it is you can struggle to get back into it because I'm dyslexic and I, I will I can write poetry great fiction I've, I've struggled with for years and I've only just got back into it myself it's just Gotta keep pushing yourself, I think, haven't you? So keep yeah. telling yourself that blank page will go away if it gets somebody wrote on it. <laughs> yeah. 
No, good luck with you. Good luck with your definitely future plans now. Oh, thank if you. People want to find out more about you, Natalie. Where are the best going to conclude with? Um, I think go over to my website, natalieholbro.com, and I've got a blog on there. Um, just to help people who are at all stages of the writing process. And I just, if ever I come across a chat, particular challenge or problem in writing, I like to just chat to people and think more about it and put up a blog post. And it, the feedback that I've had is that it's, it's helped people either overcome writer's block or self-doubt um, or just for book recommendations, really. Um, and I'm happy for anyone to contact me as well if ever they have any questions. Yeah, no, I agree. Good luck with it, definitely. So, right, well, that's all my questions. So we're going to let you get composed and you get a few poems ready for us. So okay. it's been, been a really good chat today. I really enjoyed this. So thank you, Natalie. Enjoyed it. Thank you. See, see you all in a minute, guys. Spoken me. Hi, guys. Okay, okay. Straight off, Natalie. She's got five poems for us. Over to you, Natalie. Okay. Uh, my dear. I stand in the bedroom, sweatless, admit to the dagger, the rage, and the kids who looked like you, had the eye of the cool Aegean with argonaut bravado and a traitor's blood. Our babies. I nursed them with love and a knife to save them from sins like you. Our lullaby young. Like you, they were forked in the tongue. But I was once young, a charming girl, head over claws in love with you, protective, faithful as any good angel, my is like bleaching a brother's bones. You could say I became obsessed. I had you possessed, but Corinth tore us apart. Still, I can't resist revenge, death now shaking the house to its dead foundations, the children's gasping surprise, oh, the look in your eyes when you found them coiled, like little white worms, or the curl of a gorgon's hair. She may be princess, but I'm a queen, Medea, monster maternal with blood in my breast and a glint in my milk-white eye. Revenge is a kick in the womb. Seven miles down and counting. It is a holy place with shattered glass that sparkles behind wooden benches with gulls for teeth. The roaring beach braids a seam of foam and stitches it neat in violent proximity to lifeboat stations and rattling streets, a footfall landing like blizzards. There are panicked birds in your feet, the heart snug in your rib like a prisoner. You know what to do. Strike one foot in front of the other, strike two. Unspooled from your ribbon of grief, you hammer the sand into flying heaps that churn from your heels like mountains, seven miles down and counting. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Great first two pieces there on that one. So what are they, what are those two poems, where are those two poems from if people are interested before we start? Okay, so the first one, Medea, is from And Suddenly You Find Yourself. Um, and the second one is one that um, I wrote for uh, the Running Punks community on Twitter. So that you can, um, you can find on my social media accounts. Brilliant. Okay, okay, right. Well, you go to your third one now then. Gabriel. Gabriel is slumped now, rolling stars between his fingers, waiting for a cry. All night long, he has stalked the hills, startled sheep, washed his wings in bitter streams, squeezed clouds with shaking hands. The labour was long. Joseph had set down his wood blocks, stood uselessly between woman and manger, patted Mary's fists. In a stable, bent like a tired horse, a saviour flings out his limbs, gasps for air, kicks miracles into straw. King Scarpa like geckos through deserts, 
Shepherds quake in the dark. Gabriel yanks out his trumpet, puffs its dusty note. At this sudden art, the world turns its head from the stuporous earth, lilies twisting for rain. Brilliant. Again, great stuff this today. Great one. So is that from, which one's that? Where's that from then? People are um, interested that's again. That's from Small, and the next one will be from Small as well. Okie dokie. Uh, diagnosis, 10th of December, 1998. The doctor shows us a cartoon kid, half-naked, grinning stupidly from ear to ear, with all her guts on show. He points out the pancreas. A slimy cluster of grapes about this size squeezes his fist to demonstrate, so I do the same with a tiny hand, wince as the cannula shifts. He tells me, it's okay to feel confused that it's a lot to take in, but he's talking now to my parents, trying to smile, eyes hardened to moons. I ask to go home, but there are things to do. Blood rolled to a minuscule ruby, bald at the end of my finger. Voodoo pins to master. Do you understand? We sit in silence on the drive home, hands raw and ringing. Mam's handbag trills with needles. Slim vials of insulin, a parting gift. I panic about blood glucose. My sorry bones are bruised like a plum from the car seat. For a moment, I'm glad they don't get it. Mam smokes the shock of us through the window of Dad's Mondeo. We discuss anything but this bunch of grapes useless inside me. A bobbing goldfish flipped over. Oh, God, that one hit me. That poem just hit me hard there. It has. <laughs> I'm going to be shivering that one. Pretty <laughs> book, excellent. <laughs> excellent, definitely so. But you like it's. Have you found enough sick? I'm digressing slightly because I got mm-hmm. registered to diabetes when I was 38 or 39, actually. In your case, you were, you were a belly. You, you were childhood di- diabetes, weren't you? So. Yeah, yeah, I was eight. Um, I think that's that poem took ages and ages to write, and I'm still, it's still very. It's not, it hasn't got the detailed imagery that others do because I, I can't get it to go like that. It's just very matter-of-fact and quite detached. Yeah. No, that's okay. the only way, yeah. I think, we do some, I think when you write something like that, yeah, that's the only way do it. You've got to be full-on, basically, straight in the face of it. So I'll get completely yeah. there. Okay, well, we're on to the fifth piece now, aren't we? So if I had a trumpet, I'd play it. It's a big, big conclusion <laughs> point. That's only bit it's not. <laughs> um, okay, I'll give you one of the collaborative ones. Um, oh, that I please. Wrote with- Please, yes, Um, yes, please. So this one is Queen of Hearts. Most of all, he's loyal, tedious, whipped like a cowering hound. I shrink him with orders outrageous, crunch bowl to mulch across rose gardens, demand devil red for the sheer hell of it. My face blooms to a fat heart at the sight of them, pale, moonish slivers of petal. Someone hasn't been listening. I hear them snigger between brush strokes, her menopausal majesty, her highness hysteria. A pearl of sweat rolls cleanly between my cleavage. Look at me now, sucking gales into my lungs, ready to blow, thundering from heights like an eagle, but in truth I'm bored of beheadings, death-tolling decibels, of shunting my weight through gardens to keep the boys in line. These preposterous spade-specked props two-dimensional, trembling like paper. Still more man than this matrimonial buffoon quivering under his crown, smacking jam from his lips. Let me tell you, girls, I'm bored out of my jeweled head in ornamental gardens, twirling this heart-print skirt, the wrong side of the looking glass, 
ruling over roses when I should be ruling nations. Fantastic. Great way of finishing the session off there. I've really enjoyed that, Natalie. No. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go out after I've just been looking at Amazon before. I'm gonna go and get your book you two have wrote now after this straight after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can't get it from the Kindle straight away. So but anyway, Natalie, it's been a pleasure today. Oh, thanks I've so really, much. Really, really enjoyed it. So hang around. I do need to speak to you off mic, sort of you bits petered out. But I've really enjoyed today. It's been a great session. So oh, okay, guys, girls. That's it for today. So as Don Callis says over Impact Wrestling, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all next time. Take care, guys. Spoken, mate.